Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I'm Brittany. And I'm Heather. Welcome to OKS Moms, the podcast. A place to be more than just mom. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of OKS Moms, the podcast. Brittany here. And Heather. Today we have Joanne Crone. She is a parenting educator whose focus is on getting kids to be more self-sufficient and empowered so that moms can ease up on the anxiety and stress and not feel like they're having to do everything, which I am here for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, we talk a lot about dishes in this episode, but I promise <laughs> you that it is worth it. And there are so many good tips. And really what it comes down to is just changing our or letting go of control and changing our expectations and treating our kids like humans, which is crazy. Spoiler, it comes down to what you do, not what the kids do. <laughs> you know we love, but it really Ugh. does make it easier in the long run, I think, in raising humans. Yes. Well, and I feel like dishes can be just substituted for whatever your pain point is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Code word dishes. <laughs> so let's take a quick break and we will dive into the episode. When I tell you that Brittany and I were beyond excited to bring on House of Wise as a podcast sponsor, it's a bit of an understatement. We have both tried various CBD products over the years to little success. Some flat out didn't work and almost all of them taste pretty gross. I thought House of Wise would be another well-intentioned brand that fell flat, but I couldn't have been more wrong. House of Wise is a luxury CBD brand that offers gummies specifically formulated to reduce stress, promote better sleep, increase enjoyment during sex, and improve your workouts. Each full-spectrum CBD product is originally formulated, specially designed, and paired with additional thoughtfully selective active ingredients to help women make the most of each day and give more intention and purpose to their daily routines. My favorite are the sleep gummies. I have the hardest time falling asleep and staying asleep the older I get, and these have the right amount of CBD so I'm nice and relaxed and just enough melatonin to help me fall asleep without waking up to that groggy feeling or giving me crazy dreams. And I am obsessed with the stress gummies. They take the edge off after a long day of balancing all the things as us moms tend to do. Not only does House of Wise offer great products, they're also a thoughtful, intentional, women-owned company. House of Wise has an ongoing partnership with The Last Prisoner Project, which is dedicated to decriminalizing cannabis. If you've been thinking about trying CBD, this is your sign. To try House of Wise, go to okayismoms.com wise. Use code OKEST for 20% off your order. Hi, Joanne. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and No Guilt Mom? Hi, sure. I, I'm Joanne. I am a former elementary school teacher, former um, entertainment industry. I want, I want to say worker. That sounds bad if I say worker. <laughs> like junior management assistant kind of thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and for the past uh, nine years now, I've been running my company, No Guilt Mom, and we are helping moms crush parenting by improving their communication and recognizing kids' emotions. Uh, and it's been amazing. We, we, um, me and uh, my podcast co-host, Bree, who also helps me run the company as well uh, in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And I have two kids. One is a 13-year-old daughter and the other, I have a nine-year-old son. Uh, and it's been great that, <laughs> that's like the worst intro I've ever done, you guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. You nailed it. I nailed it. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a no-guilt mom? So at No Guilt Mom, we're really looking at taking the shame out of modern parenthood, where a lot of us are told that as moms, we have to do it all. We have to have our hands in all the things. If our kids aren't behaving, like it's our fault. If like they're not eating healthy food, it's our fault. If they're fighting with their siblings, it's our fault. Like this is this internalized monologue we give to ourselves all the time. And so coming from my education background, I have a master's in education and I spent uh, many years as a classroom teacher. I'm taking what I learned in the classroom about kids and kids' behavior along with uh, other um, research and the neuroscience behind it to really show everyone that it doesn't have to be this way. Your kids benefit from more autonomy. They benefit from more control over their lives. They benefit from a better relationship with their parents versus the parent who has to be in control of everything and is trying to make sure that the situation is kind of flawless and having like the quote unquote best experience for their kids. So really at No Guilt Mom, we emphasize making yourself a priority as a person first. You set the best example when you're taking time for yourself, when you are well rested, when you are happy and fulfilled and going after your own desires and your own dreams and your own goals. And then second, it's really using relationship-based uh, parenting strategies where we're looking to make the relationship with our kids stronger. We want them to come talk to us in the future, especially during those teenage years. So we want to have that open dialogue. And instead of relying on the system that maybe we were parented in, in like the 80s and 90s, where we were punished or we were grounded or we were told exactly like what to do. We're, we emphasize more of a, uh, not negotiation because that word is very, very triggering for a lot of people with kids. <laughs> They're like, I'm not going to negotiate with my kids, but it's that mutually agreeable solution. It's this place where we find out exactly what our kids needs are and we work with them so that we as a parent have, are setting strong boundaries and expectations, but also our kids feel heard and appreciated. So that is no guilt mom in a nutshell. Well, that's exactly why we wanted to have you on because your, I think our values align and your message is definitely near and dear to our hearts. And I think you have, I think um, your approach is a lot more, how do I say this? <laughs> I think I love your approach to this because you're coming from a place where it's not judgment on the moms and it's evidence-based, like you said, and it's so these, it's not just, I raised 10 kids. 14 years ago, and this is what I did, so you should do it too. 
Oh, that drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Back in my day. Back in my day. Yeah. It's it's really looking at what like the the science reveals, the studies reveal about relationships and how kids' brains develop. Um, I am a big fan, of course, of Tina Payne Bryson and Dr. Daniel Siegel and their work with the whole brain child, uh, upstairs brain, downstairs brain. But also there's so much else going on now and so much great work out there that I always look back to when I was a teacher in the classroom and I wish I would have known the strategies that I know now to work with my students because a lot of the stuff that I did was very carrot and stick. Like here's a reward if you do this really great behavior, but oh, I'm gonna take away recess if you don't have your homework in. And that's kind of what the like the school was based in where when I was a teacher. Now it's so much more about figuring out exactly what kids need, because a lot of the time when we're getting pushback from our kids, especially as parents, sometimes we assume what the reason is. We're like, oh my gosh, they're so lazy and I need to teach them not to be lazy. I want to teach them to have responsibility. And so that's where our brain starts going down this path and we get really anxious because then every action that we see from our kids, it's further proof that we're not doing our jobs of making them not lazy or not responsible. When really, when we see a kid, for instance, not doing homework, it's not an issue of laziness, but it could be an issue of, you know, maybe they are so tired and so exhausted from their day in school that they just don't have the energy to do homework. Or maybe they're hungry and they cannot do the homework right when they get home from school, but they can't verbalize that to us because they don't know those feelings in their body that they're hungry and that their mood would improve so much if they could just get some food. So figuring out exactly what kids want, figuring out what they need, and then working with them so that everyone like is happy and works together. That's really the goal, I think, of parenting, of raising kids, of interacting with humans, any human. <laughs> I love it. Um, so what role does helping children regulate their emotions, like you said, play in like family dynamics? So it's so interesting because a lot of us have been raised that emotions are bad. Like if you are having a temper, a temper tantrum, how dare you, you need to go to your room and get it together and come back and talk to me when you can tell me in a calm voice, what's going on. Like that's been some of the the parenting education out there uh, in like the past, I think 10 years or so, I could think of a particular book, Love and Logic, where they say, oh, if your child is whining, tell them, okay, go and like, wait until you can come talk to me in a voice that's not whiny, when really it could be an issue with emotions. And emotions play a role in everything. And it's so hard to get past the emotions, especially I think for us as women, because we have been told our whole lives that we are too emotional and that our emotions ruin everything. Meanwhile, where there's like, especially at work, where there's a guy at the office and he's like yelling at his assistant and everyone's like, he's just having a bad day. <laughs> emotions affect everybody. Emotional education would like help everybody. So when we start realizing that, when we start realizing that there is a set amount of stimuli that our nervous systems can handle in a given day. So for example, I mean, like, think of, think of your guys's worst, like day recently, like a day where you were just, <laughs> I mean, Brittany, that's going to be you, really hard. Okay. <laughs> like when you got home and you were ready 
to just like lose it at the littlest thing. Like, can you remember what happened before that? Like what happened to you? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, mine was Monday because I had a busy day and my son's school called, he had a stomach ache. So I had to go back and pick him up like an hour after I dropped him off. And I was just, you know, thrown off from that. And then I had to get all my stuff done while also caring for him. And then we had to go back to the school for something I committed to and he forgot his shoes. And I was like, why <laughs> didn't you hear this? Because uh, I can't talk about it because I'm getting, look, I'm getting riled up You're right getting, now. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a really hard time because you experienced, first of all, like there was a lot of uncertainty in that situation, a lot of like disruption of your plans and routine, and it caused a lot of stress and stress we hold in our bodies. And so when you got home, everything was built up. <laughs> it was so built up and we call that um in common happy parenting we take parents through like the um the green the red and the blue which uh many people use in uh like to explain like when the sensory system gets overloaded um but like green like you're able to learn you're content you're able to take in new information but when you get to that red level you're ready to kind of blow and scream or maybe it's shut down or just be really snippy and getting to that red level is like when we get so much stress we get so much stress we raise we raise we raise we raise it's good to know because then you can take yourself out of the situation like you can give yourself that needed rest you can give yourself a cool down you can bring yourself to another room if you know that you are just about to lose it and that's how emotions really go into family dynamics because when we teach our kids this, when we're like, hey, like, it's okay if you're feeling angry, it's okay if you're feeling upset, um, they can get better knowing and understanding when they're about to approach that red level so that they don't lose it. They don't become that boss who screams at their assistant or they don't become like overwhelmed so much in the moment where they break down crying. And of course this happens over time, but when you learn about emotions and you learn about that, you get the shame taken away. You feel like you're more in control because you know the reasons behind your reactions. And it just makes for a much more open conversation without, without any of the guilt and without any of the, you know, go to your room and figure it out yourself. Oh, I love that so much. And I do see it happening over the past few years. This is something I've been working on. So that's what I did. I went to my room after I got home, like I need like an hour you guys fend for yourselves and then shut myself away. But I have seen it more recently in my kids picking up on that too. For example, my fifth grader um, picked him up from school yesterday. And I always ask, what's your mountain and valley? Like, what was your low point of the day? What was your high point? And he was like, I just really don't want to talk about this. I just need to decompress. I'm like, great. Let's great. Thank you for communicating that. So it, they see you do it. And it's, it's like, I never saw that growing up. It was just like blow up and then never talk about it again. You know? Oh so, yeah. Our I, parents were told not to burden the kids with their, with their emotions. Right. And I think it went too far the other direction in some extent. But what you're saying is exactly what happens when you as a parent start like setting, telling your kids that you're hitting that emotional wall, telling them, I feel really overwhelmed. I feel really frustrated. I need a break. Uh, you get the reactions where they'll tell you, I can't talk about this right now. And 
when you respect that as a parent, you'll find that giving kids that space when they tell you, I can't talk about this right now, I can't deal with it right now, they come back to you and they tell you it when they're back in that green zone for them, when they're back and they're, they feel regulated and they feel a lot calmer. Oh, it works. Yeah. It works. <laughs> we just got to work on ourselves like always. <laughs> oh, it's everything. It's one of those things where we can never control our kids' behavior. We can only control our own behavior. But once we are able to become more self-aware and know what sets us off and know how to deal with it, we see really great results in our kids too. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. So what are some tips you have for the parent in the moment to help regulate their emotions? Because I'll be honest, this is where I struggle because it's like, I know all the things, but also just unload the dishwasher right now. That's it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of, uh, so, I mean, first of all, it is okay for parents for you to have emotions. Like it is welcome for emotions, like a whole gamut of emotions. I myself have a big problem with anger. Like, I don't feel I'm allowed to be angry sometimes. And like, well, anger... because when mom is angry, then that changes everybody else's mood. Like, I feel like I have to be the emotional regulator for the whole family. And then <laughs> once I reach my red zone, then it's like, it's all just chaos and everyone's yelling and everyone's grumpy. And it's like, and then I then have to be the one to like reel it back in and get everybody back down. And it's like, I, I can't do this all the time for everybody. Yeah. I. <laughs> I think that Heather, you made a really important point there because you feel like it's all on you to regulate your family's emotions. And I think that's one of the things that makes like me personally feel like I can't be angry. And I think it's detrimental to me because when other people in my house are angry, I know to give them the space. I know to forgive them afterwards because it's just a strong emotion. But somewhere in me, I feel like people won't do the same for me. I feel that when I get angry, I'm going to be looked at as that out of control person who doesn't have her life together and doesn't have things under like under control. And oh my gosh, how dare she be angry at some little thing when you should be grateful for all the things around you. So that is something personally that I'm looking at in myself and I'm telling to others, anger is a perfectly acceptable emotion, especially when you can use it to like take action on something and voice your disagreement with something. Anger is something that I talk a lot with my husband and um, I'm able to, to talk with him outside of the moment because I think that's the big thing about controlling your emotions is you have to realize when it happened and then be able to, to kind of fix and be proactive about the situation that it happened in. So like the dishes, for example, and dishes are a huge pain point for me too. <laughs> My husband and I have never fought over anything more than we have fought over the dishes. Oh, really? <laughs> like, the whole like 12 years of our marriage, nothing makes us get into, uh, into it more than dishes. <laughs> really? So for, for like dishes in particular, um, being proactive about that, because one of those things is like, I realized I had the anger over the dishes. Um, we had both my husband and I had the anger over the kids, not unloading the dishwasher or loading the dishwasher. We didn't want to nag them all the time. And so in that instance, anger was a really useful tool because it had us both sit down and really talk about the situation and see how we could fix it. Um, what helped, what really helped in our case, and maybe you can do it with yours is that we made sure our roles were clearly defined in the dishes. So in our house, if I make dinner and I really love cooking, like not everybody does, but 
oh my gosh, at the end of the day, I pour myself a glass of wine. I get out my like uh, test kitchen cookbook and I cook this meal. And afterwards I'm like, it's a masterpiece. Or I'm like, I didn't do it this time, but I really like the process. So I love cooking. Anytime I cook, my husband does the dishes. Like it is his job. If those dishes stay on the counter, I leave them on the counter because that is his job and he needs to do it. Versus if he cooks, I do the dishes. I do like the hand wash portion of the dishes. So our roles are really clearly defined when it comes to like the hand wash part of the dishes. But our kids, our kids are also clearly defined in what they do with the dishwasher. My daughter unloads, my son loads. We have a little baby Yoda magnet on the dishwasher. They flip it to make sure the other one knows whose job it is. And they're very good about flipping that because they do not want to let the other one off the hook for <laughs> doing their part of the job. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's what they do. And so they're defined. And then the next part comes to time. And so we have times that they check the dishwasher. My son has agreed 7.30 p.m. each night. He will look on the counter to see if there are dishes that need to be put in the dishwasher. If there are, he will do it. If the dishwasher is full, he will run it. My daughter, she does it when she gets home from school to see if the dishwasher needs to be unloaded. If it does, great, she does it then. If it doesn't need to be unloaded, great, she does it. She waits until the next day and checks it again. So just having the really clearly defined roles around chores, and then we write it down. We write it down to the house somewhere because I don't know about you, but I will talk about something with my family and I'll be like, did I say that? What did we say? <laughs> so it's written down on our command center in our house. Like it says on dishes, Eric, 7.30 p.m. So I could just go and be like, uh, we agreed. <laughs> and there's no fight that way around it. So then you'll have, so if your daughter comes home from school and the dishwasher isn't ready to be unloaded, mm -hmm. then, so then your son isn't able to load it at night. So is there ever any like break, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, if the dishwasher isn't ready to be unloaded, the reasons would be that um, it either hasn't been run because it isn't isn't full yet. My son hasn't made it like put loaded, done his job enough to make it full. Or um, it's just it's an empty dishwasher and it doesn't need to be unloaded. So it, it works out that way. And then I mean, okay, I, so I here's my other question. So you yeah. work from home, correct? I do. I do work from home. Okay, so here's where, because we, I love this, like the defined roles and like we're working really hard to bring the kids in now because they're old enough. And, you know, if you alleviate some of this from us, then there will be less stress in this house. So mm -hmm. it's time for you to start. But the problem I'm finding is that if things don't get done, which I get it, like sometimes people work late or like sports come in, like whatever, it sometimes just doesn't happen, which is fine. But as the person who works from home, then in the morning when I want to go in and make my breakfast or go make my lunch, I have to work. I need the kitchen at some point during the day. So mm -hmm. that's when things, yeah. that's when the problems arise. And that's good that you know that. And it's good that you know that it happens repeatedly because it's something that you can bring up with your family. So I had something like that happen repeatedly to me with, and it's why we have the dishwasher system we do. I went to cook dinner. There was no clean dishes. Like I had to go to the sink. I had to like wash like dishes by hand. And I, it took me much, much longer. And so we do family meetings in our house. Um, we do it mostly during dinner time. It's pretty informal with us. Uh, when we're sitting down to dinner, I'm like, hey, you know, I have this issue right now with the dishes. This is what's going on. This is what I can't do. 
um, can I, can I, do you guys have any ideas on how we can solve this? And like, I can get a little help in it. And usually when it's presented in a way that you're, you're having trouble with it, you're suffering with it, you're having to go through this. Um, I've seen kids much more willing to jump in and be like, oh, we could do this, or we could do that. Or they'll also give their suggestions. If they're used to you giving suggestions, they'll be like, well, you could go do this instead. And it's all about a back and forth at that point and just a conversation. And it's a great lesson you're teaching kids where when there's a problem in the home, it is okay to bring it up and talk about it. And you're normalizing like conflict, which I never had normalized for me growing up. And I still like get that little uh, in my stomach whenever like somebody's mad at me or whenever there's like trouble, but you're showing how to work through it when you bring your own problems up and you have your family help come up with a solution together that they are a part of enacting as well as you are. Well, that's a great tip. Um how and that's a great tip for this next question but do you have any other suggestions about how to handle like whining or stalling or avoidance of chores so when things like chores happen and we um we like to approach the problem as if it's an ongoing problem if it happens like if you can predict it if you're like okay i'm gonna ask my kids to do this and they are going to stall for like an hour and go play roblox and then say they forgot it's then an ongoing problem which you can then proactively solve at a different time so in calm and happy parenting we actually take parents through our happy framework which is uh first is h is have priorities which you know it's an ongoing problem. This is gonna be your priority to solve this one problem. So if kids are avoiding chores, this is your one priority. You're not working on other things right now with them. You're just working on this one. And then you move into the A, which is appreciate your kids' concerns. And we really wanna to get to the bottom of things with kids. So we asked this question, it's based on Dr. Ross Green's work who wrote The Explosive Child. And you ask them, hey, I noticed that you're stalling when it's time to load the dishwasher. Actually, let me rephrase that one. It would be better said, like, I notice you have difficulty loading the dishwasher at night because you don't want to put any of your emotions or judgments into the conversation. So if you stay to, I notice you have difficulty loading the dishwasher, what's up? And you just kind of wait and you see what's going on during that time. And you might see some things come up where, oh, you know, I'm just really tired during that time. I, um, I really want to do this Roblox game with my friend during that time. I mean, many, many things can come up with kids. And there are things that usually as adults, we're like, well, that's not important. You could like do it in another time. You could like push it off just, or like, well, if you just did the dishes, you could do all this stuff later. I don't get what the big deal is. But in this appreciate your kids' concerns phase, we want our kids to feel listened to. We wanna make sure that we get the entire story from them. Cause a lot of pushback from people comes when they don't feel that they're understood. And so, getting everything out, asking your kids, okay, I understand this is happening. I understand you're tired. I understand you want to play Roblox. Is there anything else? And getting everything out during that. Uh, most parents want to skip this part because that's how we've been taught. Like no one has listened to us like this. It's crazy. Uh, but this part is like key to getting cooperation. And then in the first P of happy, it's uh, process your own emotions. And this is when you tell your kids, you're like, okay, I understand that you, you're tired, you wanna play Roblox, 
Um, I feel frustrated when I see a big pile of dishes by the dishwasher and I can't like do any sort of cooking because I have to wash dishes by hand. And you just tell them straight out. And then you invite them into step three, which is the problem solving mode. And you ask them, I wonder how we can solve this. And you start thinking of solutions together and having them give you their ideas, which if they're new to this, they're not gonna have many ideas at all because they're not used to coming up with solutions to problems. So it's really a process that over time, it's gonna be much, much more effective for you. But when you're in problem solving, then you say like, oh, well, I could do it before I, like, I get on Roblox or I can do it right when I get home from school because that's when I'm thinking about it. Uh, and then you try that solution with them. And because they thought of the solution, because they had input in it, because they now feel listened to and understood, you're gonna see a lot more cooperation and agreement actually putting that solution, like doing what they said they would do. Um, is it going to be a fix forever? No, <laughs> it's gonna be something that is looked at, it's revised, just like any problem solving thing in all of life. Uh, but it's going to be a way that your kids are gonna start helping you. They're gonna start seeing things that you need help with. Uh, I've used this for the past three years now, and my son will see when I am stressed and he will offer to like help me with making a dinner that week. And he's nine. So I could tell you that it works. It really, really works. Um, and over time, you'll feel less like it's all on you and more like your entire family is helping you and supporting you. It's all about buy-in. <laughs> like, I mean, even with adults, you know, it you're working is. with a team, it's all about like getting people's buy-in and it's the same with kids. Exactly. It's the same with kids. And a lot of like suggestions out there come with kind of manipulating kids' buy-in, which I've never been much for. Like I was at a parent meeting and uh, they were talking about chores and they said, oh yeah, if your kid likes Minecraft, maybe like make a reward system where like it's Minecraft bucks all down the row. And I'm like, no, no, we didn't just say this to 200 parents who are like struggling with chores, who now feel it's like their responsibility to come up with this complicated Minecraft system who's only going to last three weeks because then your kid's going to be interested in something else and it's going to stop well, working. <laughs> any teacher will tell you the best reward incentive system has little to no prep, little to no work on your end. Like you shouldn't be doing extra work to get that done. <laughs> Exactly. And rewards like over the long term, they don't work uh, because you keep needing bigger and bigger things to excite that part of the brain. It's called a hedonic adaptation where everything like good in your life, you learn to just think is normal. And so those rewards, kids just start thinking as normal and it doesn't motivate them anymore. So do you assign chores, do you correlate chores with allowance and things like that in your house or how does that work for you guys? So for us, allowance is a separate thing from chores. Um, their allowance is never uh, taken away or anything for not doing chores uh, because we're using allowance as a money management and um, strategy instead of an incentive to do chores. Because if you tie them together, it becomes that reward system again. And people argue against that and they're like, oh, well, you know, I get paid for my job. Like, shouldn't we teach kids to, you know, that they have to work for their money? and I'm like, well, yes, but 
you don't get paid for every single task you do on a job, unless you're like a commission-based salesperson that's going way down the rabbit hole there. (laughs) And, um, and it becomes more of a management issue on the parents part. If you're tying allowance to chores. And frankly, we don't have time for that. Like there's, there's no time for that. There's no way I can stay consistent on that because my mind is in a million different directions with my own job and my own work. I can't manage another system at home. So with allowance, it's money management. Um, it's about learning to separate wants versus needs. We give our kids a set amount each uh, week and then they can spend it how they so choose. However, I have um, total authority over junk food and candy. They cannot spend their entire allowance on candy because I pay their <laughs> dental bills and their medical. <laughs> they do that. <laughs> We've had a lot of conversations like that too around video games. My son's currently saving his money up for a video game. And I said, that's fine. You can buy it. But the rules around video games and when you can play it still apply. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like you, you can still set the expectations around it. It's not a total free like, like, I have so much money. Like, it's so funny though, with kids and allowance though, you learn about kids' money spending habits and their money saving habits. Um, And every single kid is different. Uh, My daughter saves and saves and saves until we're like, well, I guess we're buying you an iPhone now because that's how much you have in your account. But she's 13, she's in high school. Um, And my son, he's like, I got a dollar. What can I spend it on? So, uh, like allowance is just a really great tool to start having those early conversations about money and start asking kids like what they want to save for. And do they really want this like short term reward right now, or do they want to save for something a little bigger and more beneficial in the future? So I, I love having it separated. Okay. So since back to school season is here and we're getting back into the swing of things like homework and that after school shuffle, can you briefly give us a couple tips of how you handle homework? So it doesn't become just one more battlefront. <laughs> yes. So homework is, I, I feel like the way I handle homework and the way I, I coach parents to handle homework is the same as I coach parents to handle everything. It's always about using that happy framework, going in and being like, okay, if homework is a problem, that is the one thing we're going to concentrate on right now. And then going into that, appreciating your kids' concerns, asking them those questions. And the most important question to ask about homework is, when do you want to do your homework? Because going back to kids' body budgets and seeing when they're tired or when they're stressed or when they can give their best to something, it's different for every child. So when we ask kids when they want to do their homework, we're giving them that buy-in again. We're giving them that choice. And we're also letting them make those own choices in terms of their own energy levels. So with my house, I asked my daughter, like, when do you want to do homework? And this was when she was in kindergarten. And she's like, I want to do it when I get home and get out of the way. And that as a parent, I was like, yay, I'm doing everything right. You know, you have your first child and you're like, I am an expert. This is awesome. In kindergarten. Uh, in kindergarten. In kindergarten. She's always been kind of like that. She's a very people pleaser. So like, I find that when you have a kid who is a people pleaser, it makes it easier. But then you see what's going to happen long term and you try to like break them out of that. So like there's different challenges for each kid. Uh, but my son, he came home and he's like, I want to do it in the morning before I go to school. And I'm like, okay. This all sounds all too familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Oldest and youngest. Yep. (laughs) Oldest and youngest. But I let him 
And he like, and I thought when he asked me that, I'm like, this might work because he was always an early riser, like up with the sun. That's when he had all his energy. And so I'm like, okay, let's try it. And because he got that, like, will like that free range to try it, he woke up by himself and he got that homework done. And it took maybe it was three months of that. It was some close calls where he forgot to do his homework in the morning and he was going out the door crying because he was afraid he was going to get in trouble with the teacher. And when that happens, like, it's great because as a parent, you just remain in that empathy role of being like, oh my gosh, like I've been here. Like, I, I know like you must feel really stressed right now. You must feel a little worried right now. I get it. It's okay. Like, and you're just there to comfort instead of there to be like, you should have done it at night when I told you to do it. Um, <laughs> but it, it removes that from you because you're giving your kids the choice and you're letting them experience natural consequences for their actions. Uh, so he did it for like two months, three months. And then he's like, I'm going to do it at night again. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> but it was under his choice. So it wasn't me pushing against him the entire time. So one thing that I keep thinking of when, as you're explaining these steps, what happens if you just have a kid who just like their whole reason is just, I just don't want to, I just so, don't want to do it. There's always a reason behind their, like what they say. They might not be able to verbalize it yet. They might not be able to figure out exactly what it is. But um, as a parent, um, it's it's good to have the skills to dig and to question, um, which is uh, something we teach in our Appreciate Kids Concern step is what questions can I ask that will help me get to the root of this problem, to help me actually figure out what is going on here? Because there are so many reasons a child might not want to do homework it could be something like they don't understand the homework. Um, the homework takes them too long. It's too confusing. They're, um, they're just really, really tired. Uh, they don't like to be told exactly what to do, which I mean, I can relate to. I am a rebel and I, I push back against that too. Yeah, see, right? You're like, I just don't want to be told what to do. Uh, so there's lots of things. So that's why a conversation with kids is so important to figure out exactly why. Because when we see kids who don't wanna do the homework, if we just say, oh, you have to do it, this is what like is required of you, we, never, we like miss the chance to get to know our kids better. We miss the chance to know how to help them better and to figure out exactly what's going on. So I look at parenting sometimes in that as detective work. And I'm like, I am gonna get to the bottom of this case and see what's going on here. Uh, I would call the teacher if I have a relationship with the teacher, which I strongly recommend all parents do to start a positive relationship with the teacher. So you just email them and be like, hey, like I'm seeing some resistance at home to my son doing homework. Have you seen anything like that in class? And when you're able to talk with the teacher that way, teachers can give you so much information about what's going on. And they might actually excuse kids from homework. They might, a lot of teachers are like, you know what, if it's that big of a struggle, like, they don't have to do it because teachers now are understanding that it's not worth it, especially in the elementary grades to have kids fight and fight and have a horrible evening doing homework. Yeah. My kid's school is actually a no homework school and mm -hmm. I can't, I can't sing my praises of it enough. I'm so appreciative of it. And I would encourage any parent to push your principal to do the same because it is so much easier. 
My kids' schools uh, this year, my son has a no homework school and my daughter who went to high, who is in high school, she actually goes to a college prep high school and her specific high school, it's public. They're taking a very um, strong like uh, recognition of mental health. And so they are really being very aware of how much kids have to do outside of the classroom and being very like, like responsive about their time respectful of their time and she is not getting loads and loads of homework each night they've even like taken a lot of after school clubs like student government and uh, dance team which my daughter's on and made them classes during the school day that's awesome so it's it's such a better system <laughs> and i hope that all schools everywhere can give it to every single child out there because another thing I'm seeing is like, we have the privilege to live in pretty like, like, you know, upper middle class communities. And we're seeing our kids get these benefits of teachers who have knowledge of mental health, uh, teachers who have like, just the resources that they could put at this problem, where in kids in higher poverty districts, they're not having this. And so that's like a big thing. <laughs> that I, I hope that every school district takes on this and like hears this about the no homework and how to help kids emotional and social well being, instead of just piling on achievement, achievement, achievement. And there's reasons for that. But that would be me going onto a big soapbox and giving say, you an entire TED talk other conversation <laughs> yes. on for that episode. For sure. Yes. It'd be my TED talk. No. <laughs> So will you tell us a little bit more about No Guilt Mom podcast and also the common happy parenting that you were referencing earlier? Yeah. So No Guilt Mom podcast, I host with my best friend, Bree Tucker, and we have new episodes every Tuesday where we're interviewing a lot of authors. Uh, we interview experts in the field and we give our tips for managing things like how to get out the school, how to get out the door for school on time, how to deal with a perfectionist child. Um, I come at it from a um, upper elementary middle school background and Brie comes at it from an early childhood uh, emphasis. And so we have like all those age ranges covered and we just have fun. We're just here. You're chatting with your friends a lot like your podcast here. Uh, and it's just a fun time. And then Calm and Happy Parenting is our, our big system that we have at No Guilt Mom, where we teach parents exactly how to find those pushback issues in your kids, be able to drill down, ask those questions, and then come together to problem solve. And then finally, I never mentioned the why in our happy framework. The why is yield the work. It's taking off that work from your like responsibility as a parent and really giving it to your family and giving it to your kids. And that is what we take parents through. And we also have a membership program as well called Balance VIP, where we coach parents and get to work individually with them to see those successes that happen. And we've just had so many great stories of parents who came in who their kids were fighting, they felt overwhelmed, they didn't know what to do. So now like in our group, uh, one of our members, Tracy just posted, she's like, my two kids like created a board game and played all afternoon together. Like that never happened before. And it wasn't about changing the kids' behavior. It was about changing the parents' reaction to the situation. Why is that always everything. the answer? It is, it is always <laughs> the answer. And I think it's great because it gives you that permission to work on yourself and to spend more time on yourself. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our audience uh, where they can find you on social media and where they can find No Guilt Mom? Yeah, so you can find me at noguiltmom.com and uh, also on Instagram at noguiltmom or uh, the No Guilt Mom podcast, which we're every Tuesday have new episodes and that's anywhere you listen to podcasts. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. If you like what you just heard, and we hope you do, you can find more of us online at www.okistmoms.com. We're also on all social media platforms, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at okistmomsblog. Or if you want to, you can send us an email at hey at okistmoms.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.